0: Hello and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, and current president of Reed Scholars. Today, we are joined by Dr. Philip Murray, who is originally from Decatur, Georgia. He received his medical degree from Medical College of Georgia in Augusta, and completed his adult psychiatry residency at Harvard and his chief residency year in child and adolescent psych at New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York, New York. Philip is also a Reed Scholar and completed the Fellowship in Minority Health Policy uh, with us in 2017. Currently, he's practicing as a psychiatrist in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he continues to be passionate about protecting the mental health needs of vulnerable populations, as well as improving the pipeline to foster more uh, leadership in health equity. Welcome, Dr. Murray. How are you today?
1: I'm good. To be honest, I'm very surprised at the uh, bio. Uh, Because I didn't submit anything officially, but I was like, I guess you do have all my info, so it makes you sense. You
0: know, the internet is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> a blessing and a curse. Yep, yep. Um, so you are um, down in North Carolina. Tell us um, about your day-to-day um, there and what you've been doing over the past couple months. And um, Has your day-to-day changed much in response to COVID or what uh, do you see in there?
1: thankfully not too much Uh, and it's interesting because you know talking to friends kind of during the day and everything certain folks are picking up different hobbies or doing uh new activities working out more cooking and on one hand i'm feeling like i'm running behind and then i realize oh that's right life hasn't really changed for me Mm -hmm. so that's something that i have to kind of keep in perspective Uh, i'm still working at atrium health uh in the outpatient medical service i'm the associate medical director there and i also spend some time on an act team which is assertive community treatment for severely mentally ill folks i spent a couple of days there per week um and their name is family innovations and they're here great team and so still doing that but what has changed is that we're doing a lot more virtual contacts. and so that's been developing slowly at first we tried you know kind of social distancing and the waiting rooms everybody wearing masks temperature screens and then As the executive orders came down at the local level and the statewide level, then at that point, we switched most things to either phone visits or video visits, and we got a little bit of reprieve just because uh, it seems that most insurances, especially CMS or Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, will still reimburse those at the rate that they said they would. Uh, So there hasn't been as much of a shift or pressure between, you know, doing what's clinically appropriate and what's going to hopefully not cost the system money. So it's been, it's been, interesting, but it's been a manageable shift.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, this is an observation. This may not be the, the whole truth, but I feel like, um, psychiatry in general was a little bit ahead of the curve, uh, as far as telehealth. Um, and I, I noticed more that, um, technology happening, you know, even before, um, telemedicine in general was was kind of taken off but just for those who you know are, are getting more accustomed to virtual visits tell us a little bit more about those interactions um, how patients respond to uh, video and telephone visits do they, they feel like they're getting their their needs met in the same way as an inpatient visit and lastly is there any um Pushback, or do you feel like any of the vulnerable populations are being left behind if if they don't have the access to technology?
1: So it's, there are a lot of ways to answer that. So there are a couple of things. One, I think my focus is a little bit different because even though it's therapeutic, I'm not doing traditional therapy in my current role at least. Right. And so when people are checking in primarily around medications, I think the focus is a little bit different than if we're, you know, going deep into kind of psychosocial issues and things like that. And so I think we might have a little bit more grace or leeway for folks to accept these contacts instead of, you know, doing an entire therapy session over the phone. Which makes uh, sense. And I'm thinking about that just because I have had a couple of patients say that they haven't gone to their therapist as much because it doesn't quite feel the same, but, you know, they're fine checking in with me uh, mm. for, for medication. So that's one thing. When it comes to, I think, overall satisfaction, we don't have the numbers yet. Uh, Our system is starting to do a kind of social engagement survey, checking in to see how connected people feel after some of these virtual contacts. So we'll have actual data from that. But I think overall, um, it hasn't felt like there's been that much of a change. And the way that our system has done it is, so we had kind of existing telehealth stuff system-wide, not just in behavioral health, but Now, for us specifically, there are options of doing it either via a video service or over the phone. And so a lot of people have been just fine kind of picking up the phone and going from there. And so I think the phone aspect limits the kind of technological barriers that some folks would have. Um, And to be transparent with the video technology, a lot of times you can access it either through a phone or the computer. And so while there may be concerns about internet access and everything else, a lot of underserved populations and things like that can still access the internet through mobile devices. And so thankfully that's there. But I think if anything else, this was helpful because it removed a lot of barriers as far as people getting physically to appointments. And so here in the Charlotte area, I think between ourselves and another large health system, we do a decent job of making appointments available but we still have folks who will drive from different parts of South Carolina further out or have to drive over an hour to come to an appointment. And so I think being able to connect remotely is something that has been better uh, and especially allowing it over the phone instead of through a specific video platform. I think that's also helped to kind of narrow some gaps as well.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, know, this, Population who deals with mental health needs. I mean, I think you. Well, going back a step. I mean, I think we have a couple different issues when we talk about mental mental health needs during COVID, right? So, we have those who are needing to access um, services for their ongoing care, versus they're already been tapped in and they already have a a therapist, hopefully, and a psychiatrist. And so they're just needing maintenance, right? And so I think maintenance is a little bit easier during a pandemic versus um, new um, uh, needs. And so I think we've even, um, I had a few patients come in who were very anxious about, uh, am I going to get exposed when I go to work? Or um, if I get exposed, what do I do about family members? And um, now that I can't travel, what happens if something happens to my family member in another state? Um, mm. So can you can you speak um, any to those type of things and, and how you kind of negotiate, um, you know, what you're seeing as far as maintenance, but what you're seeing as far as new uh, mental health needs during this process?
1: Well, that's the thing. So when we're looking at maintenance versus new, um, A line that we always kind of go with clinically is just does this lead to worsening impairment or basically how does this impact your day? And so I think as I speak with people, I try and set the scene of like, hey, this is actual reality. This isn't just, you know, all of a sudden you're freaking out and you're making this up. It's like, no, there is actually a global pandemic. Right. uh, And it's going to lead to some distress. So some of that is normal. Uh, And I think some people respond to that well uh, and take that kind of reassurance and validation and are able to kind of maintain. Uh, and then from there, you know, as you just kind of listed a few different scenarios in the moment, i like to just kind of break it down with folks and say, okay, let's examine the thoughts. Let's see what is actually happening, what you're afraid of happening and kind of what's in between. And then we figure out what do we actually need to worry about? And then we also figure out, okay, but what's causing you so much worry that is impacting things negatively. Uh, And so I think those are things that we try to balance. And then I also tell people who have been coming in for maintenance who get anxious on top of that. It's like, look, just because you have a diagnosis, just because you're on medication, just because you're in treatment doesn't mean that you're completely immune to what life has to offer. You know, you can still get anxious about real life stuff. And uh, if anything, that's reassuring because that lets us know that we haven't, broken anything that's supposed to be working a certain
0: way, Uh,
1: you know, and so I think just normalizing anxiety and then from there, just taking a peek at, okay, is this something that is ruining the way that you function during the day or creating a very big barrier for you to do stuff that you would do normally and just being honest and candid about those conversations and, and being humble enough to take folks feedback and then kind of come up with a game plan together.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I think it's um that distinction is 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 hard because I think a lot of times people need to know where and that's with anything, like where where's the point in which I need to seek help, right? And mm-hmm. what is the point in which this is a normal response and what is the when in the point what is the point in which it's an abnormal response that I need to do something about? And usually that point is when you can't function, right? There's some it's somehow impacting the normal things that you would do every day. Um yeah. So that that was a good um, distinction in in helping people kind of (laughs) know when they should be more worried um, about how they're feeling or reacting.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is once, at least from my point of view, once we figure out what's going on, that's when we can choose the appropriate tool. And my thing is culturally, you know, even though we see a lot of patients in mental health, numerically primary care providers provide way more psychiatric prescriptions than we do just by virtue of numbers and access and everything else right and so the blessing that we have from mental health is that we have a little bit more time to focus on these things and so we can go a little bit deeper past just symptoms and kind of look at everything that's going on and take it into account while you know my primary care colleagues who have to handle a number of issues at once it's kind of like alright if you're anxious we can start you on a medication and go from there while With us, if we have a little bit more time, we can say, all right, this actually sounds like it'll be normal. We'll check back in a month versus with a lot of primary care visits, it can be anywhere from three months to six months to a year. Mm. And so by being able to have a little bit more surveillance in that regard, we can either wait a little bit longer before going with the medication that's unnecessary, or we can monitor something more closely and treat it more aggressively if needed. So that's some of the Leeway that we have if somebody comes to us versus another specialty. That
0: makes a lot of sense, and 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 that's true too. And I think people probably forget about that just from the sheer volume of numbers. Um, your primary care doctors are going to provide more prescriptions, but it's helpful uh, when you can, if you need it, to have the more specialized and detailed um, care and more frequency of touches and appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit um, and talk about the work that you're doing outside of the office. So, I know you're doing some work around population health. And I think, you know, when we're having horrible things like pandemics, it's a great way of, you know, evaluating. local response and and understanding how your system works and hopefully making changes for the better and making sure of course that we're keeping our vulnerable populations in mind so um tell us a little bit more of what you're doing around that and what you're looking forward to kind of going forward
1: so this uh, is something that i have to give all credit to the system uh, because it's not something that's specifically coming from behavioral health so our system i think does a very good job with population health and health equity there's a hospital-wide committee, and it kind of looks at different issues, and so they've taken up uh, coronavirus and subsequent COVID-19 cases, especially with the news that's been coming out about how it's been disproportionately affecting specifically African-Americans or Black populations across the U.S. So a couple of things they've been doing. They've been doing some community engagement. There have been public talks. There have also been kind of mobile testing sites where they will go to areas that don't have as much access or areas that There are concerns of there being a higher proportion of infections and doing kind of drive-through testing and things like that. And then they also have a virtual hospital that they do where people can kind of check in and have symptoms managed remotely if, obviously, they don't need more aggressive interventions like ventilators and things like that. Uh, And then on top of that, they're trying to do a little bit more tracking and research around people with comorbidities and other vulnerabilities for the results of the case to be a little bit worse than they would be if they didn't have those things. So that's kind of what's happening from a systems perspective. Uh, I have been on the committees that have been kind of looking at those calls and everything, but I have to defer to my primary care colleagues on those committees who have just been doing a fantastic job of really bringing the data to the table and really coming up with ways to make sure that the system does an equitable way of treating people.
0: I like it teamwork and I, I think teamwork is uh underscored especially now um, across platforms and and we've seen how um, on larger stages we'll say when we're not working together what happens but um so I'm glad to see some some positive work and some great system based base work, and hopefully it will um set a model that the rest of the country will follow. So we'll have to circle back and, and kind of find out what the data outcomes will be from that going forward. Um, so not to keep you long, I, I usually like to close with two questions. Um, the first being, um, what has been your biggest struggle, um, either personally or professionally, even though you kind of mentioned it has been so, so bad for you, but um, any personal or professional struggles that you've had over the past couple months, and, um, in an ideal world, what, what do you hope we learn from this? How do, you, how do you hope that we get something positive from this experience on the other side?
1: Uh, I mean, I think, um, how can I put it? So the struggle has been balancing, really just balancing everything, because it's so uncertain. And depending on all of these other factors outside of the direct clinical encounter, it changes from, do we look like New Zealand, or do we look like New York? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think trying to balance that, balance staff expectations, balance patient expectations, and kind of hold the optimism of the moment of, uh, it hasn't been that bad, but also the reality of this thing could go either way and we're not in control of that. And, you know, on top of that, looking at the system response and provider response. And so, I think that's been the hardest part, just trying to balance that and be realistic, but also being hopeful at the same time. Uh, So I think that, at least for me, has been an interesting place to be uh, as we're trying to update people and provide information when we don't have the full picture yet. Exactly. Um, And so that's, I think, has been a difficult point. Uh, As far as what I hope this brings, I mean, when it comes to telehealth specifically, there were a lot of barriers to entry some of it had to do with the technology itself and being worried about it being compliant with privacy aspects Mm -hmm. some of it had to do with insurance companies the government not reimbursing for those services and so now we're in a place where to have folks go out puts them at more risk than staying at home so we have this reimbursement and so hopefully it moves the question to okay so if we can do this now why can't we continue to do this Um, I know there may be some implications for how we practice, for how we staff things and everything else, but looking at it from an access standpoint, you know, we don't have enough psychiatrists, we don't have enough mental health treatment, we don't have enough mental health providers of all disciplines, and so this presents an opportunity, and I understand there's going to be a lot of talks about regulation, about what works well, about what's cost effective, but if we're looking at it specifically from an access piece, I am hopeful that this will move this conversation forward.
0: I like it. I think that is a, a great uh, place to end. I think, um, I mean, one of the things I'm also hopeful for is that there has been so many creative and innovative ideas that, you know, we had to do it. You know, it's, it's always a difference. Well, we could do it, but when you have to do it, um, you, you tend to figure things out. And so I think we have the opportunity um, to continue to, to figure things out and hopefully increase access and availability and quality um, along with it. So with that, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, glad to catch up with you. And hopefully I'll get to see you in person soon. Um, one of these days, the or not, I would be to see. <laughs> right. Well, you take care and keep doing uh, the great job that you've been doing down in North Carolina. All right. Thanks so
1: much.